Welcome to episode 103 of the Never Iron Anything Comics Review Podcast. This week, I'm rejoined by a comic scholar, podcaster, and most importantly, fan. Yes, it's the return of Eamon Clark. Hello, man. You all right? I'm fine, Tony. Hello. Welcome. Glad to be back. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, no, it's good to have you back, man. And we've actually uh, met probably in real life. I know we've met a number of times, but we've never had an extended conversation. It always seems to be dashing about comic marts and stuff, comic conventions. But we actually went to the mart this week, didn't we? We went to London Comic Mart, which was good. I, I think, like you said on the ACP, it's worth paying the fiver to get in early. And, yeah, it was. Um, then it's a bit quieter as well. Once the crowd came in at 12, it began to feel a little bit... Yeah, yeah, we were watching them. Weren't we standing there watching, watching them all them. pour in at 12, yeah. weren't we, I think? Yeah. 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 Um, but up until then, you know, most people have been wearing masks. It all felt very sort of calm. I don't know where you find the stuff you find, because the long boxes <laughs> I was looking in <laughs> all very conventional comics, which I picked up a few Kirby ones, as you know. Um, yeah. Uh, some Commandy and some New Gods. But uh, I don't know where you find the stuff you find at those marts, but you do. <laughs> One of them will be getting a, a, a an honourable mention later, and I know you, I'm sure you know which one. Yes, I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, then we went for a pizza, didn't we? Me, you, Conrad, and Falpy. Yeah. And we 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 sort of subtly shared some of some of the 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 the, the rather lively material that I'd purchased. You know, just hide it. I think I gave didn't I give one to Conrad as the waitress appeared? Yes. He swerved it. I think. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Interesting stuff. stuff. And we man. also well, went to Meanwhile tonight. as well, didn't we? Yeah. Oh, yes, of course we did. We went to Meanwhile as well. Of course yeah. we did. Yeah, which is quite nice as well, wasn't it? It yeah, was. It was a nice day out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, you've, you've you've done me again this week. So there's, there's, previously you said, oh, why don't we just do this comic? And then when you look into it, it becomes quite a big area of study. And from something that is quite short, you and I have basically been spending the last three weeks, I'm going to say, Sending things to read, things to listen, things to watch backwards and forwards over the DMs, haven't we? So we have, did yes. you <laughs> did you want to say what we've got to uh, talk about this week? Well, it is an eight-page comic story, so I thought, you know, there'd be a nice quick one for us. And regular listeners will know that around about now I ought to be smuggling Tony into a university lecture, but sadly that's yes. not going to happen. So but I thought we would do a bit of comic scholarship and we would look at the story master race which appeared in an ec comics issue number one of impact comics april 1955 and the story is yep. master race uh, written by probably why william gaines and al feldstein with art by bernie kriegstein we're going to be talking about colored by marie yep. severin there's a cover by jack davis it is eight pages and i'm just going to say right straight away we are going to discuss the story all eight pages are available on the internet. So if you don't want yeah. to have the twist spoiled, because it's an EC comic, there's a bit of a twist, then you can find it very quickly. We, we you know, well, you and I have also found other ways of actually getting the comic and uh, reading yeah. some more of his stuff. But that's what we're going to be talking about. Eight pages. Yeah, think, that won't take long, I, will it? No, that'd be fine. I think since you told me about it, I've um, I've accidentally bought three versions of it now. Right. So <laughs> accidentally, you know, it is. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, it depends where you... Um, you read um, the credits. I've read credits in different versions. I've read I've read written by Feldstein, um, and art by Krigston, Krigstein. Sorry, the I've read I've seen um, story by Gaines, script and story by Gaines and um, Bernie Krigstein, 
Um, it depends where you read it, I think, because I'm right in saying they weren't originally credited. You've got the original in front of you, haven't you? I have got the original, and you just get a signature of B. Krigstein or Krigstein on the front pa- on the first page, and that's it. But you don't get story credits, no. Yeah, I get you. That's right. So, yeah, let's be clear, because it kind of comes from that point. I mean, you were in your teens by then, weren't you? But I was long from being born Well, that point. <laughs> this is a comic yeah. from before our time, literally. It's the oldest comic I now own. Uh, yeah, comic you brought it along and showed it. You showed it to me at the Mart, didn't you? Yeah, yeah it's a rather tatty copy, but it, it still exists. You know, it's a 1955 comic and it still exists. And as you know, um, I love that when they're still there, these uh, artefacts. Oh, yeah. I have to, I have to say, you you showing that to me, you showed it me into, while we were having a tea before we went in, they really pushed me into trying to buy a decent EC Comics, you know, version. Right. You know, and, and they're all... Yours looks fucking mint compared to the ones they had at the Mart, I've got to tell you. Right. Uh, proper tatty, yeah. And you've um, got a Fantagraphics reprint floppy, is that right? I have, yeah. I'm not sure it's by um, Fantagraphics. I think it's by, is it Cochrane? Is that his name? Oh, right, the dude okay. Who was, yeah. Or is it Fantagraphics? You might be now. I've got, I have got a Fantagraphics because I've got it in the collection of Master Race, which is the collections they've been putting out in black and white. I've got it in this. It doesn't really make it clear but I think it's the Cochrane did some collections and then he did sort of um, bind-ups of some other stuff as well. The interesting point that we we found out is yours is a lot wider, isn't it? Yes. So these are sort of uh, pre-1960s comics, so they're quite wide. They don't fit in a standard Silver Age comic bag, as I found out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So let's let's go back to the start and say... um, one of the usual questions we always start with, Eamon, is how did you discover EC Comics? Were you in some fairly early on? I'd, maybe I'll caveat this by the fact that saying I didn't come to them till it's very late. Um, to me, they almost seemed a little bit old fashioned, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's late. It's very late for me as well. Um, it's it's reading about them in uh, journals like the Comics Journal and Amazing Heroes um, back in the 80s, reading about the whole seduction of the innocent uh, controversy from a year before this comic. Um, And then it's actually, I think, it's the last page or some of the panels from the last page of this story that I must have seen reprinted in a magazine somewhere talking about Krigstein and what he does with his artwork on this uh, this story. So I think I actually saw the sort of the key panels, um, possibly in an article about Frank Miller, I should imagine, quite possibly. But yeah. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. And the, especially the la- the first and the last pages seem to be the ones that you see a lot of, I think. Yes. Um, and we'll talk about why that is in a minute, I'm sure. Um, so when did you decide this was I – mean, did, did you think, oh, this is interesting, I'll get a copy of this so I can talk to Tony, or is it something you had already, or how did, it, how did you come back that copy? No, literally the, literally the first one. I thought, you know, we should actually – because you and I have talked about doing another comics master, but it's um, we keep sort of putting it off because there's quite a lot of yeah. reading um, in that book. It's a big book. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I thought, well, this firstly, I thought this is nice and short, you know, eight pages. But secondly, I thought people keep talking about this as one of the most influential comic stories of all time. I should actually track it yeah. down. And I started with the black and white collection, uh, which you've mentioned, which is called Master Race and Other Stories by Bernie Krigstein. 
and I got it digitally. Bernard, he's called in this. You rarely, you rarely see him referred to as Bernard, do you? It's always no. sort of Bernie or BB, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. And yeah, I think you've got the hard copy the of that, bought. haven't you? Yeah, I've got a few of those. Um, I was talking to Canon about one of the Wally Wood ones the other day, which obviously if I talk to anyone about a comic, it means I then have to go on the internet and buy it. That's yes. kind of how my mind works. Yeah, around. me, me so too. I, yeah. <laughs> and then um, I bought the um, the single issue, which is the um, the reprint, the colour reprint. I, I'm, I'm going to say I prefer the coloured versions. I, I, I think they read better somehow. Right. Uh, and then I bought – there's a great book, which I recommend people might want to buy after they hear us talking about it. It's called B. Krigstein by Greg Sadowski. And it's a big um, – it's like a coffee table book, really. And that reprints it all in colour again. Um, that's, a, that's an excellent book. Right. Um, really. Yeah, very good. Um, cool. So, EC. I think what we're going to do, we're going to talk a little bit about EC. Then we're going to talk about Master Race, and then we're going to talk about some of the creators involved. Um, it, EC Comics is a hugely interesting subject, isn't it? It's it's almost like like you know your your back your podcasting background is in two thousand AD. It's almost like EC is its own has its own fandom almost you know yeah and i mean it's astonishing that we discovered somewhat something of that fandom as we were doing the research for this one but yeah i mean uh what were they educational comics who became entertaining comics that's so that so seems wrong somehow i don't know why for comics i love it just seems strange that that's the name that they originally started out wasn't it you know yeah and as you say, like a bit like 2000 AD, they sort of ploughed their own furrow. Um, obviously, yeah. they did a lot of crime and horror. They also did a lot of science fiction as well, but crime and horror stories. And then they get caught up in the Wortham and the you know the Senate investigation into juvenile yeah. delinquency. Um, William Gaines, who's sort of become the editor when his father passes away, William Gaines has to give evidence, and it's you know it's infamous those moments yeah, of him incredible talking yeah. about you know what makes a good taste cover and all that. So yeah, I mean, nineteen fifties <laughs> yes, allegedly he was off his nut on um, amphetamines at the time. Wasn't I it? have heard that. I have heard yeah. that he needed to take certain. Um, stimulants in order to actually get through his testimony and he was a somewhat sweaty um uh tr- you know slightly squirmy wi- uh, witness i should imagine i think there's a word balloon episode that i listened to the other day that's got the original you can li- you can listen to some of the recordings they recorded his, right. his testimony and he for an for a clever guy and i've heard many people who know him speak about him so warmly he doesn't come across well i think one of the the reasons he was taking amphetamines originally was to lose some weight i think right I think they were barbiturates, I think they call them in the States, don't they? Yeah. Um, to go from the from the very beginning, Max Gaines, who was um, William Gaines's father, is credited as being the creator of the comic book, you know, the, the, what we recognise now as the American comic book. Right. In that he collected a load of sort of Sunday funnies and um, put them together in a comic, and that became what is recognised by many to be the first um, comic book. Now, Gaines died um, at the age of 47, believe it or not, um in a in a in a boating accident this was no boating accident yes. the um um and the story is that at the time he owed 100 grand to someone which is quite an interesting i know you and i always this is the second time we've talked about people possibly being involved in comics and being you know possibly yeah. murdered but this is uh there's this sort of uh this rumor that that was the reason um so all american um, publications aka educational comics was then handed on to his son William Gaines, um, who he became is is such a landmark figure in comics. Uh, uh, we we often credit the bullpen and these sort of 
little cheeky groups of creators with nicknames and stuff to stand. But I've got to tell you, um, EC were, were, you know, years ahead of him around that, I think. And he yeah. comes across, you know, I mean, obviously, as you say, he didn't do terribly well in his testimony to the Senate, but he comes across the stories about him. He comes across as a real dude, a real character, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll touch on Mad later, which is just the strangest bedfellow with EC. The fact that you've got these, you know, the, the real success story that comes out of what we're going to talk about today is is Mad Magazine. Yeah. You know, which run for about 550 issues and was su- such a anti-establishment but establishment comic and um he was he was the kind of although he did sell it in i think the 60s he he remained as um editor-in-chief and publisher um and he became this sort of father figure to all these you know all these great creators throughout the years and i think i sent you a story didn't i that's um on Wikipedia about him going, where's he, where is it? Is, is it Haiti? They go to Haiti on a, on a, he takes all the staff on a, a trip to Haiti, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. They discover there's one, there's, there's one subscriber to the magazine in Haiti. So they all go around his house um, and visit him. And um, his neighbor says, Oh, I'll subscribe too. So Gaines declares, this is a huge financial success. They've doubled the readership in Haiti. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's they go they go partying. I went to this convention once, and Sergio was there. And Sergio does this um, in the old days. It would have been a slideshow, you know, of holiday photographs, but it's on a PowerPoint now. And it's um, of the time he because he went on I think all of the mad trips. And it wasn't just they wouldn't just go to Coney Island or something like that. They'd go to bloody Kenya or Singapore and those sort of places. And they were just full of like these older mad men. Guys looking like they're out of the series Mad Men with pipes and you know, yeah, you know, <laughs> safari suits, something standing around an elephant, you know. And most of the time, Sergio was in a pair of trunks, which yeah. always used to make me laugh. Yes, well, yeah, Sergio. Was, just just a cracking environment. I think he was he was so recognised as being this this dude. Yeah, you know, yeah, I love those stories of him taking the all the crew, all the creators on holiday, just go around the <laughs> yeah, world to take them. Yeah, you know. Uh, it's our plan to do that at, uh, at tribute. That's the plan. That's the yeah. that's yes, yeah. yeah the, living know, the dream, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, now, like you say, he, he, Frederick Wortham, um, his book that's probably most famous for his Seduction of the Innocent, which was this. I think it's mostly been discredited now as being a bit sort of made up and you know, yeah, pop psychology, you know, cod psychology, heavily but the, debunked. But it's. Um, it resulted in these hearings, um, Senate hearings, um, and he gave evidence in front of it. But in a weird sort of twist of fate, Gaines um, was responsible for making the Comics Code after that. Did you read that part of it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, he's the one who sort of brings in the Comics Code. And actually, we talk about we might talk about this issue because this issue didn't sell very well because it does not have the Comics yeah. Code stamp on the front cover. And it straddles the period, doesn't it? So it was... Issue Actually, two does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Um, so like we say, he he was sort of partly responsible for creating this comics code authority gains. And but then he, he got he got a bit pissed off with it and walked away and would regularly just go up against them, you know, and like fight them for put you know, there was there's these ridiculous examples you hear of there's um you know, there's too much smoke coming out the barrel of a gun. Yeah. Or 
I mean, the famous one is uh, there's a, um, a spaceman who, who unhelmets himself and he's a black dude. And they, I, I still have never read an account of the explanation they gave why they didn't like it, but they said they, they couldn't be a black man. He said, well, that's the fucking point of it. <laughs> that, well, again, that's one of the most famous science fiction stories uh, in comic books from the time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. incredible example. Now, it was, it is, uh, the artists and the creators on this are incredible. So, they they had a series of writers, but um, Feldstein, Feldstein was one of the guys who wrote. I think he wrote something in every issue. I think pretty much was his record, um, as well as Harvey Kurtzman, and they also acted as editors along with Gaines. But they had um, just the best artists. You know, the names um, that we'll talk about in a minute. But is there any that's your favourite? Anyone that other less other other than the subject of this, other than Bernie? Is there anyone else that jumps out at you as a favourite? Um, so. I love the Jack Davis cover, and I love Jack Davis's yeah. sort of comic illustrations he did. All those boxing rings that um, <laughs> those you know fighters that he would do from that period. Yeah, um, absolutely great stuff. Um, it's you know it's strange that we don't know more of the names, or at least I don't know more of the names from this period because you know there's some great ones, aren't there? In there, yeah. This it's. I think once your eye gets used to it, there it's it's a series of comics that you can't put down. I think because right. I'm I'm a child of the seventies, and I was I used to love House of Mystery, House of Secrets, all those sort of titles. And that's the this is the parent of those comics, you know. Absolutely. And also stuff like the Twilight Zone, and you know, this this is people loved this sort of thing. I think a lot of it came from radio shows at the time, didn't they? I mean, they they openly admitted to stealing from Ray Bradbury and all these sort of people. I think Ray Bradbury ended up going to see them and got credits on it and got a small amount of money and he was actually quite happy with that i think he quite liked the fact that he was being published in comic form and then you know? uh krigstein illustrates a ray bradbury story called the yes. flying machine and bradbury yeah. loves it he just thinks it's one of the best he's, he describes it as one of the best pieces of comic book art he's ever seen uh, yeah. and that's in the collection as well and that's just lovely um, yeah, if you want to see the lineup for that, incidentally, it's in the EC um, IDW Artist Edition, the first volume, the line work for that, and it's just incredible. Yeah, just beautiful. Yeah, I'm just going to mention some of the other artists I, I, that I'm fa- fans of. I think if it's a crime drama, I really like Johnny Craig. I think he's great. Um, Alex Toth actually did one story, I think, which features kind of the US Air Force. Right. Um, which oh, is okay. Cool. Yeah, like you though, Davis is a real favourite of mine. I just love. There's a real personality to his faces that you don't automatically get with everyone else. Um, also, Frazetta, Frank Frazetta did stuff. Of course, yeah. Frazetta yeah. starts there, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, Joe Orlando's great. John Severin, um, Al Williamson, and I suppose probably my favourite would be um, Wallywood. Right. Of course. I think it's a bit. I, I think it's crime. Johnny Craig or Craig Krigstein, Krigstein or um, I think Wallywood for science fiction, I'm going to say. The Wallywood special episode is coming at some point. Yeah, we keep talking about it, don't we? I know um, Cannon was saying as well, saying it, it, we really need to do it. I think the reason I stayed off it is because um, uh, Wits End, Shara Wits End did, is doing or has done a, a Wallywood one and right. he's obviously buddy, so we try okay. not to clash. But yeah, definitely is something I'm building up. Well, I showed you the erotic comics. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, um, as a sort of um, chronological description of EC, they, they're split into a number of areas. We have what's called pre-trend, which is 46 to 50, and that's, that's books like Crime Patrol, Gunfire, Happy Who Lands, uh, Land of the Lost, um, Moon Girl, 
Um, the, the the sort of not as lively as that as what follows, which is called new trend. Um, now you'll see that, for example, some of these issues have only got twenty eight issues in new trend, but that's because they swap titles about a bit. So continuity ran, but sometimes between different names of magazines. So it can be a little bit confusing when you're buying issues. And New Trend is the one that we all recognize, Crypt Terror Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, Haunt of Fear, Weird Fantasy, Weird Science, Crime Suspense Stories, Two-Fisted Tales. Although I'd like to point out at this point at the mark, last week I did buy a comic called One-Fisted Tales, <laughs> um, <laughs> which you just looked disappointed at me about. Um <laughs> <laughs> piracy which is another one when Krigstein had worked on most of these he did stuff in a lot of them uh frontline combat um panic which was a comedy one and then we get the, what's called the post code um post comics code so we get by this time wortham has done his damage um and we get into um a, i don't want to say watered down I think they just they didn't push the um the content the you know the the gore they didn't put push the violence and that sort of thing and that's what's called new direction and that is impact valor extra which was the one about newspapers which I I haven't read and I would love to ace is high psychoanalysis which I haven't read but the cover it looks great there's an ad um, for it in here isn't there yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh, md um incredible science fiction and then we get something called picto fiction which is um, Confessions Illustrated, Crime Illustrated, and Shock Illustrated. And the difference with Picto Fiction is they discovered that a way to get around the code was to produce magazine-sized things, black and white, but still containing comics. Ah, uh, okay. But, so I think, sadly, by that time, the, the damage had been done, and um, the uh, it didn't it didn't last very long. I think there no no comics lasted long, longer than three issues at that point. Um, and just think of that time when, you know, after Wortham and the hearings, if you said to somebody you worked in comic books, yeah. they would, you know, they would walk away from you at parties. I mean, that you know, <laughs> yeah. that old joke, you know, um, uh, telling people that you play the piano in a whorehouse because you don't want to tell them that you work in comics, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's something we talked about with Stan as well. Stan would say the same thing, wouldn't he? He'd yeah. say he's in... And they were, you know, it was that time when they were burning comic books. Um, yeah. Yeah, astonishing, you know, to think of these creators. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about the artistry, pushing the artistry, but, you know, it's, it's they were going to work drawing pictures and telling stories, and yet they were being reviled um, yeah. as, you know, what was wrong. A moral panic was going on as to what was wrong with the nation, and it was comics. And we had it over here in the UK as well. We had the same sort of uh, okay. moral panic. Um, there's still a piece of... Uh, we actually went further because we've got litigation. We've got um, law on the statute books that's still there from 1955. Oh, okay. oh really? I didn't realise that. Yeah. Okay. Yes, um, we we go through every. There's a little cycle of it over here, isn't there? Yes, we, we go through that. We had it with video nasties. Video with, nasties, yeah, sure. exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. Video games was the next. Then we had it for rock music at one point. Do you remember Tipper Gore? Yeah, all the rock music stuff. <laughs> Back yeah. masking. Yeah. Have you heard the one about? <laughs> um, have you heard the one about? Yeah, all these people hiding satanic messages supposedly backwards in rock records. You've heard the one about playing yeah. country and western records backwards. Have you heard that one back? Tony, no. what happens if you play country and western records backwards? You get your wife back, you get your dog back, you get the kids back. <laughs> this is the podcast of dad jokes. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Now, um, EC had a strange, I can't, I'm not calling it strange because back then, you know, it was still a, um, 
an emerging and um, sort of growing format, wasn't it? It was sort of finding its feet. But they did have a strange way of working, didn't they? It wasn't exactly artistic freedom. Am I right in saying that? Well, I was fascinated by this because I only found this out from some of the interviews and articles that we've been reading in the last few weeks. So the... I mean, if we take this story, as far as we know, William Gaines probably comes up with the idea with Al Felstein at a meeting. Al Felstein goes away and writes it. And then what would happen is they would it would be lettered first. So the artists would be yeah. given the boards with the panels already laid out and the lettering on them and told, yeah. basically, go and fill in the story from the script there. And that's how it was presented to Bernie Krigstein. And I, I mean, I'm absolutely, you know, the whole subject of lettering, I find, is interesting. Um, yeah. And, but if you think about, you know, next decade, we're going to be talking about the Marvel method and, you know, uh, yeah. the artists go away and they plot it and lay it all out. And then Stan comes back and adds in the dialogue. But here's like, seems almost like um, putting the the cart before the horses. They get the lettering and everything laid out first and hand it to the artists. Yeah, sort of just drawing the space, isn't it? It's yeah. almost like that, I think. Yeah. The um, Now, it's interesting because um, what happened was, like, I actually think Feldstein's script and writing is is almost as good as the art. I think he's, it's really well written, this story, as well, to me. I find it quite poetic. Yes, know? it is very um, poetic. And it contains some fascinating and quite subtle stuff about, sort of like, you know, the nature of humanity, the nature of crowds, the way we, you know, might be induced yeah. to follow um, uh, deranged little shouting men, as he's described in this comic <laughs> now, um, yeah, that's true. Who, who's, he's never named, is he? I don't think. I don't think they use his name in this, do they? I don't so, think it ever says Hitler, no. Krigstein was a difficult man at the best of times, as I understand it, but he, he got on well with Feldstein. He's spoken very well of him, I think. He said, look, this is, is good writing. Um, and so um, the way that it'd work is I'm guessing Gaines and Feldstein and Kurtzman would all sit about, like, think, oh, what's this new story? We think of a story, think of a story, let's write that. And then it would be scripted. And then it would be given to it. There was a couple. I'm not sure exactly their names, but they would they lettered everything. Um, uh, it was a husband and wife team. And they used something called the Leroy lettering kit, um, which is it's not exactly set and it's not exactly typewriter but it's this weird thing that sits on a a ruler and basically has got two points you stick one point in this hollowed out letter and the other point goes on the page yeah it's just this bizarre system i watched a video of it this afternoon after you mentioned it and yeah you sort of like you sort of letter you drag the pointer over the letters on the template and it then inks them and where onto your guidelines on the page it seems yeah, and there's like um, a set of different size letters, depending on what point, you know, now we'd say point 10 New Times Roman, wouldn't we, or something, but, you know, it's, uh, depending on what size you want on the page. Mm. Now, probably more coming on this because I've ordered one. Oh, no. I ordered one on, yeah, I ordered one on eBay. and, and on it, See, this is what you're doing to me, <laughs> Damon. We had to talk about it. I thought, right, bloody, I'm going to order. And you sent me some picture of a John Bull printing set, and I thought, right, this is right. So I'm going to order one. So <laughs> I ordered one, and... Um, I think I might do a little video and have a go at it, I think. Oh, great. Right. Oh, I look forward to it. Yeah. I, I mean, it is, lettering is fantastic. It? Yeah, it is. 
Um, yeah, it really works well. And it's so distinctive for me for, I don't know why. I mean, it was used elsewhere, but EC, it just, that's, it's got something about it, you know? Yeah. And then over the top of it, they colored, they actually color the text in. They, there's bits of it are all colored in. Yes. By presumably by Marie Severin. Yeah. yeah. Who will definitely get onto Marie Severin. Who's, who's probably one of those people who's, she's mentioned, isn't she? But she was so, I think she colored everything pretty much, didn't she? Yeah. I um, think she was doing all yeah. the coloring at the time. Yeah. Good. Well, let's get on to the master master race story. So, um, did you want to describe what happens? Spoilers, everyone. So, yeah, spoilers. Okay, first of all, let's just say it was originally written as a six-page story and given to Kriegstein yeah. as six pages, and he said, "I want 12 and then they compromised and they gave him eight. And we know because yeah. the original artwork turned up on Heritage Auctions about three years ago. We know from that yeah. that he sort of like he was cutting out the pre-existing lettering to 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 basically put in new panels. Um, yeah. The story, this is a story about a man who in literally in the first panel descends into the New York subway, um, but it's a descent into hell for him. He is going yeah. to catch a subway train, and while he's doing so, he is... Um, he's running through his memories, he's running through his fears, and he is somebody who lived through World War II and who is, run, is sort of living in constant fear that he might meet somebody from uh, Germany and World War II. And it's divided, shall we say, into three acts. Yeah. The I first so. act I've is... Read, I've definitely read this to three acts. Yeah. yeah. The first act is his descent into the subway and the start of his reminiscence. Then the second act is literally it does... The Holocaust, it does, the rise yeah, so to it power. It's like a flashback, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So we see flashbacks of his memories of the rise to power of the Nazis, the Holocaust, uh, the terrible things, um, all portrayed in about two or three, four pages. And then we're going to get the final act, which is where he will come face to face with someone from his past. And we get the uh, the big ending. So that's that's basically what the story is in those eight pages. Yeah. So to, to us now, we think, oh, it's a story about the Holocaust, and he comes across someone who you know might have been in one of the camps, and he was, you know, and, and but we got you got to appreciate this was ten years after, nine years after the end of the war. Um, this was made, yeah. and it was really fresh in people's minds, and it was, I think, it's credited as being one of the first proper pieces of art, you know, story about it in a rea realistic way, I think, you know? Yeah, and I think, obviously, when Bernie Krigstein sees the the script and the story, he says, this is really important. We need to actually, we need to yeah. do something different with this. We need to do something special with this, which is why he lobbed for the extra, pa extra pages and why he uses such remarkable uh, art techniques, which really make it stand out from the rest of the comic. Now this is interesting because um, we both came across, um, or we both came across a mention of a, a piece written by Art Spiegelman. In fact, he wrote two pieces on it. He went back and rewrote about it, um, which you found, didn't you? You found in the um, the EC fanzine. Is that right? Yeah. So this is astonishing. Um, again, this is something I didn't know about Tony until we started the research for this. There's yeah, an EC fan. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's news to us, wasn't it? There's an EC fanzine Definitely. which is called Squatront. That's S Q U A, 
T R O N T, Squatrant, which apparently I gather is two words that the aliens in the science fiction stories used to say a lot. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Um, <laughs> Genius. And it's an EC uh, Comics fanzine that was published. Um, is it mostly the seventies? I think the issue we've got. I'm. Ge- I'm. Yeah, I'm guessing. I've got. You've got. You've got the one that's got the Spiegelman piece in, which is by far the most expensive one to buy. Yes. Um, and I've got the two issues either side, if you see what I mean. Right. So um, I've got issue yeah. six from 1975, which is entirely a special issue. Bernard Kriegstein. It's got an interview with him. It's got articles about him, and of course, it's got the analysis of Master Race by, let me just get their names, John Benson, David Kasakov, and Art Spiegelman. And it's based on a paper that Spiegelman wrote in college in the 60s about Master Race. So, you know, and yeah, I managed to track down a copy and um, share the images with you so we could do our research. And, you know, who knew? Who knew? It's, and it's really detailed, man. He really gets into it, doesn't he? He does, and it's such a—I mean, it's such a lovely, uh, well-produced fanzine. I mean, you know, fanzines always sound really a little bit, yeah. you know, run off on the. Uh... Yeah, some of the UK fanzines that were clearly typed on a typewriter, and they're so small print you can barely read them. This is quite professional. I mean, the issue after your one is they—it now looks like um, a, a, an era. 20, 20 2005 um comics journal because it's got a spine with written on the spine it's perfectly bound it's got loads of original art and it really is something that would, could have been made by two morrows yeah you know it's that sort of quality i think yeah they're yeah. very good anyway so there's a whole issue of it devoted to Krigstein and to this story master race that we're talking about i'm gonna i'm gonna play devil's advocate for a second here Eamon, and say Krigstein is a good artist for me, he's not the best DC artist, but where he really comes in to his own is the creation of layout and flow. Is that is that a fair comment, you think, or I think if you look at his, say, faces and figure work, yeah. you might think, what are you know, what's everybody making a fuss about? But it's yeah. what he does with directing the action, what he does with his panels and his layouts, and what he does with time in this comic um that makes this one of the most discussed um pieces of comic book art in history and one of the most analyzed bits of history um yeah i think it's sometimes you might think well he's not as you say not the best of the ec artists but what he does with form and actually you know if you look at the rest of the comics this is the last story in an anthology comic and if you yeah. look at the rest of the stories in this issue, I'm going to say they have that certain 50s sort of generic look to them. Um, whereas this one really just like pops out. It stands out as being something yeah. different. Um, and yeah. it's to do with, I think, it's his use of panels and the way he does it, the way he, d- he depicts the movement of time, the depiction of the trains. It's um, oh, so beautiful, yeah. It so is. incredible. It's fascinating. I think the thing is, when what so what happened was that the editors would create the panels, and because they were doing this, you know, ev- they were creating stories almost every day, you know, to put them out, to get these comics out. A lot of the, the formatting on the pages would, was very similar between stories. 
Yes. So we'd often get that first page with, you know, the big, the big splashier image and then the two underneath it. And then we'd move on to three along the top. You know, it was, you know, they always seem to be in stacks of three, the same number, you know, but what he did, he really started experimenting. Now he, I actually, um, according to the B. Krigstein book, um, he, he started experimenting in earlier than this. So he actually started on something, um, called the murder you murderer in shock suspense stories 14 which was drawn through the eyes of the protagonist and had a like hallucinate hallucinatory edge to it um and krigstein describes um that he wanted to play more with the form at that point and he was always a guy who was a thinker and i mean almost people would say to him fucking hell you're taking this a bit seriously aren't they there was there was that element to some of the conversations he had back then i think um and the he was he said organizing space will determine the sequence of pictures he was a man who thought he was he was a deep thinker i think you know yes. I think no one will put that back you know he wasn't the man who was the funniest bloke in the bullpen i don't think he was always you know larking about but he was a big thinker and then he did a, a comic called the catacombs but in vault of horror 38 and that's described in this book as bernie's first grand experiment in panel breakdown um and he had to actually argue because he he would sort of People knew he was good. The thing is, he appears in all the sort of jokey pictures of the ball, you know, the equivalent of the bullpen. People knew he was good, but sometimes he had to fight to get what he wanted, I think. Yes. Is that is that what you found as well? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, you know, clearly we see it here that he had to fight for these extra pages and to fight to yeah. um, put more panels in. Because, uh, yeah. I mean, that last page, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, does... Well, well, how many panels are there? About 15 panels on that last page. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. Which is, we'll talk about that because I think that's my favourite page. Yeah. And that's the one that's most copied. But, the, I mean, on the, the Catacomb story, Johnny Craig was his editor and he had to go and see Bill Gaines. He said, look, I'm up for it, Bernie, but I've got to go and see Gaines about this. I can't just let you go and do it. And then in the next story, Keychain, which appeared in um, Crime Suspense Stories 20, 25 and 954, he also experimented again and pushed it again. Um, and in that one, um, Feldstein, Feldstein wanted, uh, sorry, um, Feldstein wanted 18 panels and Bernie used 34 yeah. on that one. You know, and you're thinking, right, well, he's really experimenting. You know, he'd be that guy now who would be doing something we go, fucking hell, I've not seen this. You know, he'd be the Dave McKean, he'd be the Bill Sinkovich, you know, he'd be that guy who's, you know, being creative within what like you say was such a sort of an industry that nobody thought was any good you know you're you're as well being a fishmonger as being a comic creator back then i think yeah yeah uh, and not doing you know fishmongers down i mean not and again i mean not wanting to do editors down you know the editors because if you're if you're publishing monthly anthology comics you've got to have the content you've got to get the content yeah. and um and we know on this one, I think that even when he was working on it, William Games came back to him and said, oh, I'm not sure about this, Bernie. I'm not sure if this is going to, you know, if we should be doing this. And Craig Stein says, no, no, you've got to do it. We've got to, this is really important. We've got to stick to yeah. the plan, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I think there's a, there's a comics journalist. He said he refers to it as, uh, I think it's, I think it's named Sadowski from my notes. He refers to it as um, Bernie had found his golden fleece at that point. Yeah. Um, and he said it does something very new as it, uh, he, he, when describing the story, he said it does something very new. This is breakdowns as they should be. Um, and Feldstein said, um, initially, I was very angry about what he'd done, but Bernie talked me round. And I thought, well, there's obviously so much passion in this dude about what he's doing about it. It's interesting. Um, and they, he, I'm, I'm uh, this 
felt this um, book by Greg Sadowski is um, really detailed and I could go through the history of him, but he'd had a rough time, um, Bernie. He'd been to war. He'd seen some, he got stuck behind enemy lines at the Battle of the Bulge, believe it or not, and had to like leg it back through the woods and stuff, you know, avoiding soldiers. He'd had, he'd had a rough, rough time. Um, and he came back and he, at one point he was doing all right. Then he wasn't. And he, when he drew this, he was, he was sitting in the front room of their queen's apartment. Um, and his wife was having to write romance stories to make make payments on the flat and stuff. Um, but he he took extra time to do this, didn't they? They they gave him extra time. I, don't, I think it was actually four months before it came out because they couldn't find a space for it. Yeah, I think that's right because he was you know he needed extra time to do it. And yeah, I mean if we look at his history, because yeah. um, when we get to the 1960s, basically he he leaves comics and goes off to teach and do fine art and book and album covers and you know we might argue that um what he was trying to do comic books weren't quite ready for at that stage i I make you right man yeah completely yeah when in 1961 he earned he earned just under three three grand you know and this is this was a geezer at the height you know this is a geezer doing stuff that miller would be doing decades later um 78 was his only and his first and only comic convention boston new con it was um, and he and he spoke and, and people were entranced by it. I mean, what he said was has been written down. You know, it was he was so interesting about it. Um, but back to the story again. So I don't know if you know this, but Natalie, who his wife is, um, they actually went to the tube station. Um, they went to um, Queens Boulevard station, which is where this is set now, apparently. Right. Um, and his wife was running around dressed in his coat. Oh, OK. So Doing reference work. Yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, so what else did Spiegelman have to say? Is there anything else that really struck you as insightful about his piece? Because it's, it's incredibly incredibly detailed, isn't it? Well, I mean, there's a couple of of moments that are sort of like um, intensely analysed. Um, early on, we get the approaching subway train as the tracks curve towards us. And then we get this wonderful panel, which he repeats a couple, uh, later yeah. on, where you see, you get this sort of impression of a train pulling up um, beside you on the platform and you see these people sort of like like repeated images through the windows yeah. of the train. Well, your eyes just fast enough to capture them, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. Um, that's memorable. And then, of course, we will talk about the last page, which Art Spiegelman and the others analyse in depth, where our sort of leading character, our protagonist, um, who may turn out to be the antagonist, um, stumbles and falls as he's been chased through the station. And time slows down, you know, um, and then suddenly speeds up very rapidly again. yeah, and so, it bookends it, doesn't it? He uses that. He uses that flash image again, doesn't he? Exactly. Yeah. Suddenly, the rushing train is there, and again, we get those glimpses of people through the window as the train speeds to a stop, as it were. Yeah, there's a strange symmetry to a lot of what he does, isn't it? There's a not symmetry, I suppose. There's a balance to what he does to me. Um, his his pages and images are um, like you say. There's 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 that page with the repeated face. Um, where he's thinking back to Nazi Germany and there's a repeated face of the man in black, the man with the black bowler hat on and you know, the black coat um, to, to give it balance as the train the wheels go over as well. You know, it's just really, really imaginative. We didn't see this sort of thing at the time. And, you know, it's as you say, balance, it's a bit, it's almost like, you know, when Dave Gibbons 
yeah. does the mirror images of that um, Watchmen issue because the first the first panel and the story the character descends towards the camera his descent into hell has begun and the last panel yeah. the man in black who may be you know you could read as death turns and walks yeah. away from us into the darkness um yeah it's you know it's incredible stuff and it really just stands out it's so different to what what was going on at the time um, yeah yeah the that's one of the questions i was going to say now i've heard and read different theories about this so um let's not be about the bush the man on the train is a is a guard he's been a guard in um, a nazi prison camp and he's he sees there and he's he's he sees someone get on the train he recognizes as one of his victims essentially you know yes um and he's he's haunted by this man and he runs as a train he gets off the train and the man chases him along the platform and he and uh, as part of that chase he falls under a train and dies yeah now that's that's the story so spoilers everyone sorry about that but the i think it's important to talk about it and the man who is the um the, the chap who's been in the prison camp the victim is dressed entirely in black he I mean he looks like the grim reaper there's there's got to be a reference there somewhere i'm sure yes yeah. And, you know, um, I think with an EC twist story, I mean, it's difficult to read it now without seeing the twist, possibly because yeah. we read about the final page, you know, so many times. But the, the sort of the implication of the story he's telling, you, you, I think we're meant to think that the man on the train, the first man, is... He was, a, you know, concentration camp. Yeah, um, we don't quite grasp who he was until a moment in the chase. I think, isn't it? Is that right? Yes, that's right. And then we get on the penultimate page. It's revealed that no, it's the reverse of what we were thinking. That the guy on the train who we saw descend in the first panel was actually the camp commandant of Belson, um, and the man in black is either somebody who was a prisoner under him or he's some sort of as you say uh hooded figure of death um the yeah, personification the of, of vengeance exactly that's exactly what i've written the incarnation of revenge yeah it really that there's that element to it is that sort of because he's without real features isn't he although he is gaunt enough to have been someone who you know years ago was in that camp, I think yeah. it's the implication of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, He's got this gaunt, yeah, I, skeletal, Peter Cushing-like face, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he has. Yeah, and so I had the, I, I, I heard the theory that the man isn't real. I've heard that, and then I heard um, that the man is, um, is, is death. So I've had that as well. Um, there's a lot of theories going on around that, but it's, there's enough. It's. I've read a lot of EC stories in the last couple of weeks, as I'm sure you have. It's different than the o henry story which we're used to reading it's it's not quite as sharp not quite as a hard punch in the face as a twist ending as a lot of them i think no i mean it's not quite and i you know i think it's difficult to read it for the you know a new for the first time but it's yeah. I, you know i think we see the twist come in um i think what is interesting is in the last two pages there is a chase through the subway station. The subway station that's going to lead to this fall, and for a moment, or in fact for several moments, as Kriegstein depicts them, they appear to be just the two characters by themselves in the station. Yeah. And then once he's fallen under the rushing train, and time sort of speeds back up, suddenly 
there's people around, people getting off the train, and they talk to the man in black, and the man in black interacts with them. And so, like, you know, and then he turns yeah. and walks away from the camera. Uh, so he, he is... At that sense, you know, he's a real character. But there's that moment when almost Twilight zone I suppose, they seem to be by themselves in a, in a New York subway station, which, of course, you know, wouldn't happen, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the, the end of it gives it um, uh, the, the men's rear, the malice of forethought, you know, the, the intent to me that this man intended this there's almost like that twist we say i know well this is what was gonna happen yeah you know this is what i was here for because he speaks which to me is when these people are saying oh the man isn't real this is you know well he's got to be because he speaks to people who are not the dead man yes that's why i I thought of it he interacts with the bystanders yeah yeah and they Um, say you know did you know him have you met him before or whatever yeah yeah and he says no he he was a perfect stranger which is a lovely last line as well yeah, just the real haunting last line. Um, the other thing that uh, Bernie talks about is he talks about his um, he's he is in his own head has examined the medium, and it, you have to appreciate this is in the heady heady days of you know people were sort of doing what they thought was good for comics without there wasn't this sort of eighty years of people saying oh you can't do that you know yeah so they were doing that like so he was formulating a media and his uh, a medium in his own mind for a lot of it, and he. Um, didn't like to compare it to movies, but he was willing to speculate on the comparison with stage plays, um, which I find interesting in relation to this because it's it's kind of a, a two set piece, isn't it? You know, if you if you take the flashback out, it's the subway yeah. station and this and the and the the train, really. You know, it's it's, it's but that's part of the the claustrophobia, I know, but to me, it seems very grounded like that. Yeah, it is, and you know, yes, you could see that as just the two act structure with the the the, the sort of flashback sequence in the middle. Um, because he, I mean, in this interview in here, he talks about how panels should in, should exist by themselves, but also yeah. he talks about time and how time happens in the space between panels. Now, yeah. you know. Um, we've both read Scott McLeod. We've both probably read Will Eisner's books about comic yeah. books and come across this idea of, you know, what happens in the gutters between panels, you know, um, how we close one action and open another action just between two drawings. And here was, you know, Craig Stein yeah. was talking about this in the early 60s about work that he did in the, in the, in the 1950s. Um, it was, you know... Yeah. It's, it's been around, hasn't it? It's been, you know, there was people experimenting yeah. with this form right the way back. Yeah. Yeah, it is it is it is the everything in it is like a masterclass to me. There's like you said, we could we could uh, we, we normally do an hour, mate. We're gonna do longer, I, I know, but you and I could probably talk about this for, you know, five or six hours in relation to what happens in, in the book and you know the history of these characters. But I I, I actually I I can see why other creators and creators still to this day I know Jim Rugg and Ed Pisco were studying it the other day on Kayfabe why they still study this because it it's re- it really is a genius thing and the other thing and the other thing I was meant to make so I was fucking talking around the houses there but the other thing I wanted to mention was there's no real close ups we don't get huge close ups in this do we um, and uh, Bernie talked about this saying that he keeps a physical distance from the characters which I found interesting. There's, there's a, is he trying to instill in it a coldness, you know, a think, bleakness? To yeah, it? I think there is a certain distance, and he doesn't do 
what was a sort of staple at the time, which was a close up on an on an anxious sweating yeah. <laughs> or yeah. grimacing face um the sort of stuff that you know might characterize some of the early comics work say of steve ditko where yeah. he would do those very angst-ridden faces uh lots of wrinkles and so on um yeah you've only got to flip through you've only got to flip through impact to find examples of it immediately exactly you know? and the rest of the yeah. comics the rest of the stories in this issue you see it but he doesn't do that he keeps a distance from the characters he keeps the camera pulled back um, and then he does this remarkable stuff where the train speeds in, and then you know, as I say, the sort of final page where um, the fall is almost depicted. It takes about six panels for him to fall, or more. Yeah, yeah. Just looking at it now. Um, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, nine, ten, almost. You know, ten, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, you know, if you want to go page-by-page breakdown, um, Cartoonist Kayfabe, as you said, watch their video, which is about 30 minutes. um, And I've forgotten the name of the chap. You know him. They got an expert on as well, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, I've just forgotten his name. Is it Warren Bernard? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. He's the guy who runs um, uh, SPX. Right. Yeah, and he's got a couple couple of comic shops as well. Um, he, he's an attendee at LCAF. He pops over, so we, I met him there. Uh, and he's he's owns like you. He owns these. One of the few ones he kept from college. He said, "I kept this copy of the you know this comic because it meant so much to me." Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that's a good one. Um, I I do occasionally. He does rather annoy me sometimes, but I watch comic tropes as well occasionally. And he doesn't do a bad discussion about Bernie himself. He talks a lot about it, and I think there's some relevant stuff in there as well. Right. Um, just, just a couple of other things about the the use of darkness in this. Um, if you look at the the well, we, we're going to call him the, the Grim Reaper character, there's an absence of he's doing what I know. Toth was about five or six years younger than Bernie, but Bernie did admire Toth's work, and that movement through i mean this is some heavy he's just a blob of black with a hand and part of his head isn't he when you look at it yeah um, i mean you know the 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 guy who turns out to be the you know the nazi um you he gets like a new york trench coat and hat and you get all the yeah. details on the coat and the belt and the buttons but the man in black is just literally he's he's his black uh, coat, black hat, and then his face and hands, and no yeah. details really at all. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, be- it's beautifully done, and you you see people doing that to this day. You know, I'm sure it's a technique that um, Mazzucchelli's used. You know, like we say, Miller, Gibbons, you know, these sort of people. Um, the the other thing I wanted to mention is um, he does it so well. But um, Bernie manages to sum up the whole of the Second World War from a point of view of Germany in a matter of a page and a half. Yeah. Um, but he throws so much into it that he, just every panel. So one of the few wide shots we get is um, one of the, I'm guessing it's like a Nuremberg rally or something like that. And we get a, a big wide shot. Then we get um, the crowd, um, Zeke Heiling, and their eyes are, they have like googly brainwashed hypnotized eyes so you've already got that that's the set he's stuck it there for you and then there's some really interesting panels for example you get the um the, the sort of the, the the fall into mob mentality you get the burning of the books followed by you get the uh, um 
the Jews who are taken away, and then you got the I think I think it's Catholics or Christians are attacked. Catholics, yes, yeah, yeah. and and then you get the the um, iconography of barbed wire in front of the people in the concentration camps. But then what he re- he does really well is he gets so the camps you get people walking past the wall of it holding handkerchiefs over their faces. Yeah. So there's the stink, the stench of death that is coming from this camp. He's, he manages to show that by just having Joe Public walk past, you know, German Joe Public walk past the walls holding their, they're holding their noses. It's just the brilliant implications Im- of each image are so well done. You know? Yeah, brilliant imagery. And I'm going to just give a little shout out to the, you know, to Al Feldstein and William Gaines because the story and its implication, as you say, Tony, of mob mentality, that yeah. that slight, well, not slight, that huge fear we all have of how, because I think one of the things that the story talks about is about how it's not just the zealots and the sort of like extremists, it's how, it's how it sort of corrupted the ordinary people who sort of get yeah. caught up in it all and go along with it. And you sort of get the implication that the commandant who's going to die at the end of this story was one of those that he was an ordinary person who becomes infected by this um but yeah i mean you know it's got the concentration camp images the ordinary people literally having to cover their faces to sort of uh, i guess to sort of blot out the reality of what was happening just beyond yeah. the wall and then the bodies and then we go yeah we go from in in a double page spread of, of, of not super loads of panels in this two-page spread, um, as is his want, but you go from books being burnt to bodies being buried. Yeah. So there's there's just a direct line across the two pages from, you know, a lovely coloured, you know, um, Marie Severin's done a lovely sort of yellow and red colouring on that job onto that to the to the darkness and the brown and the greys of these bodies being buried alive. It's just impactful and you know ferocious. It's just shows you, doesn't it? it? Throws you into it. And when you think that. The majority of people who read this would have been through some, at least some of this. Yeah, yeah, and and but yes, probably one of the first comics to tackle the subject, possibly one of the first works of literature to ta- tackle the subject, and to depict it on the page. And as you say, the colouring by Marie Severin, um, what a great job she does on it as well. Um, yeah, she does. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, breathtaking. Really it's an amazing. We, we talk a little, um, let's talk a little bit about Marie. So Marie was born in 1929 and died in 2018. She was born in East uh, East New York. Um, her older brother was John Severin. They weren't. A lot of people think they were husband and wife. They weren't. They were brother and sister. Uh, she attended the Pratt Institute for one day. Um, she went <laughs> to work in the financial district in Wall Street. She was a real ass kicker. I think I always get the, the impression Marie was great. Um, and John needed a colorist for one of his EC stories, and it was a moon, a girl, a romance, and she worked for Atlas and Marvel, but also and so she she did all this, and then she thought, now nah, I'm not making that much. I'm going to go back to banking. She went back to banking, and then she came back to comics again, um, and she was um, there is this there's this theory that she it might be down to Marie that some of the books got toned down a bit because if she didn't like something, she used to color it a bit heavier. On the, the point that was, you know, the the really the really nasty bit, which is this story going around. Um, Gaines called her the conscience of EC. Um, she also did some um, some Doctor Strange that was after Ditko left, um, and she co-created the Living Tribunal. 
Uh, she um, drew as well. She's a great artist. She drew the Submariner, the Hulk, Conan, Cull, and Crazy Magazine, and some not brand Eck. Um, and she designed the original Spider Woman costume. Um, yeah, and then later on, do you remember Star Comics? Do you remember that? Yeah, I like do actually. Yeah, she drew Muppet Babies and Fraggle Rock. Yeah. Um, and she, I mean, what a legend. She coloured. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Even after retiring, she went back and coloured some of the EC reprints because she thought they wanted to be done. And she also coloured the 2001 Treasury Edition, which is quite a quite a, quite a book. Is um, that the uh, yeah. the big, large format Kirby one? The one, yeah, that's yeah. it. Oh, right, yeah, I've got that. Not too far away from me now as well. Uh, oh, that's great, man. Yeah. Well, that's, that's worth a few quid now. That, that, was, that got the kayfabe effect, didn't it? They talked about it on kayfabe, then it sold out everywhere. The prices went up yeah. everywhere. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I, you know, I just, I'm astonished because, let's be honest, it was mostly blokes at this stage. And <laughs> yeah. there's yeah. Marie Severin, you know, kicking ass, doing this stuff. Um, the other one I'm interested in from this period is, is Ramona Freydon, who's still with us, thank goodness. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, but again, made a legendary career out of drawing, you know, um, Aquaman and things like that. Yeah, um, some um, some great stuff over at DC, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, yeah. Marie Severin, nod, tip of the hat, um, astonishing work. Um, and also let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Al, Al Feldstein. Um, he would, um, him and Gaines would often appear in some of the stories in EC. Because they used to lark about, I get the sense they'd lark about, so people would put them in the stories. Right. Um, he was born in 1925 in Brooklyn. He passed away in 2014. Um, he won the won a prize at the 1939 World's Fair and then studied at the high school um, for some of his art and then studied at the High School of Music and Art in Manhattan. Once While still at school, he worked for Igor Comic Pu- uh, Packaging Company, just running errands and stuff like that. His earliest um, art was for in the backgrounds for Sheena, Queen of the Jungle. Um, he worked for Fox Comics, doing all sorts of things, driving, writing, art. Um, but someone warned him that um, Fox Comics was dodgy um, and he probably wasn't going to get paid. So he arrived at EC in 1948 and began there as an artist and then quickly wrote, uh, moved into writing and editing. He wrote at least one story per issue. Um, after EC folded, he stepped away, but then returned to Mad Magazine um, and he worked there for another 29 years. Um, yeah, I love this. In his retirement, he painted a lot. These guys all love painting, don't they? And they he moved do. to Wyoming. Yeah. Wyoming. Uh, he also worked on something which was, um, I think, when Archie comics back then, if something was big, they they. Well, you remember when Superman was big? We got all these heroes like Superman, didn't we? But they went when um, Archie was big. He was part of a creating a, a series called Sonny and Junior in 1947. Um, there's a great book on him called Feldstein: The Mad Life and Fantastic Art of Al Feldstein, which I must get a copy of. Actually, looks really good. Yeah, and the images um, you see some pictures of him in his old age, and he just looks like such a happy, contented, cheer, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That's what we want. <laughs> that's what we aspire to. It's not too far away from me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing is the cover man. Now, I think you were telling me that um, Bernie didn't like the cover or something. Is that right? That's right. In the interview, he says that Jack Davis is a great artist, but he has a certain comic sensibility, which he didn't think suited yeah. the story. Um, now, clearly, Davis did the cover after seeing the uh, yeah. Krigstein's pages because it's, it is a sort of, you know, direct 
sort of um, interpretation of one of the panels in a way. It's yeah. the character running along the platform, his hat's flying off, and behind him stands the man in black. And as the cartoonist Kayfabe pointed out, Marie Severin has coloured the sort of wall behind them to almost look like the striped concentration camp pyjamas uh, or uniforms. Yeah. But, yeah, um, you know, Kriegstein, in the interview, he does... They ask him about other artists, and he does, you know, he doesn't pull any punches. He's, you know, he says who he <laughs> yeah. likes and who he doesn't, and how he didn't quite like... He thinks Jack Davis is, you know, um, very talented, but he didn't think it suited his story. Um, yeah. And he, of course, just to, you know, to nod to one of our other podcasts, he did, he has a real go at Stan Lee in it as well. <laughs> Oh right, yeah. He didn't yeah. really get on with Stan, you know. My my notes are actually absolutely chock full of quotes from um, Bernie, and one of the favourite ones is he. I think he shouted this at Spiegelman on the first the first time. It was Eisner. He shouted, "Eisner is the enemy. When you're with me, I am the only artist." <laughs> <laughs> okay. I actually really like the cover. I think it works really well. I think as a cover, there's two versions of it, apparently. There's a white, um, ra- um, uh, I don't know what do you call it, header to it, and there's a sort of side image, and there's a there's a, a blue version of it. So there's two. I don't know why there's two, but apparently there is. Oh, okay. Yours is the blue version, isn't it? Yeah, I've got the blue version, and, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's lovely. I wish I could draw like, yeah. like that. Jack Davis, oh, you know, is just... Uh, and I, Like I say, I just seem to remember him from those mad magazine those boxes and all <laughs> yeah and yeah. you can see why he's suited to mad from this stuff like this yes um the uh the the grim reaper character has there's a lanky is he he's not he wouldn't be unlike a character out of one of the sort of movie homage strips they did or something like that in there there's um, a slight then, exaggeration there's a slight comic yeah. exaggeration of limb length um there know, is there, sort of lankiness yes yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. The and the um the the camp guard, I I think is he, he's he's almost over realized compared to what you see inside. So there's much more detail to him than what you see later with um the story. So the whole sort of flowing blonde hair, you know, it, it's, he's much. I know it's the cover, so it's going to be more detailed. But there seems to be much more detail to it. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's sort of, I suppose you could say it sort of gives it away as well on the cover. But I think, I yeah. I love it. I love the cover. And I think he did... Oh, man, Jack, if I had a print of this, it'd be on my wall. Yeah. And he did all cover, the covers for all five issues, because it only lasted five issues, this one, Impact. And I think yeah. he did the cover for all of them. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, and then they're all lovely. And they all have a, a specific, they're almost like colour-coded per issue, aren't they? Yeah. Um the, what's the one I've got in front of me here? The the red one, which is issue two, uh, is a beautiful one as well with a sort of um, horror cover. Um, just quickly about Jack Davis. So he's born in 24, died in 16, he was born in Atlanta. Um, hugely prolific throughout his long life and, and often regarded as the fastest mad artist and the fastest DC artist. At the t- age of 12, he was published in Tip Top Comics number nine. He attended the University of Georgia as part of the GI Bill and drew for the campus newspaper. After graduation, he became a cartoonist at the um, a, a magazine in Atlanta and he studied at the Art Students League of New York. In 1950, he began freelancing at EC, claimed um, he almost gave up. 
he thought, oh, I'm, I'm not earning any money. I'm going to give this up before Gaines convinced him to stay on. Um, uh, noted for his description of uh, depiction of the Crypt Keeper, um, he illustrated some of the classic stories for EC Foul Play, uh, Lower Birth, and did also awful, awful lot, lot of the covers. Um, at Marvel, he drew a couple of issues of the Rawhide Kid, uh, Atlas. Um, and definitely, as we all know, one of the biggies at Mad when Kurtzman went over there, and he went over there with Kurtzman and Feldstein and all that. You know, and he was he stayed there for many years. Um, yeah, an incredibly great artist, and and Marie's colours just really ping on this cover. They really do. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Yeah, dude. Is um, is there anything else we want? I mean. I've I've barely touched my notes here, man. I've got to tell you, I've got so much written down. Is there anything else you wanted to mention at all? Or? Well, I just um, I was thinking about because this is very influential, and I'm thinking about which yeah. of uh, the greats that we love now um, were influenced yeah. by this. Um, the one, you know, I sent you a link to the article that Frank Miller. Yeah. wrote you know frank miller was interviewed about kriegstein and the obvious example is the moment in uh, dark knight returns where they retell the origin story and yeah. you get that famous sort of page or more of time slowing down in crime alley with bruce wayne and his parents and you know everybody knows that now um but i also remember you know miller's run on daredevil and for some reason, I'm thinking particularly yeah. of uh, the moment when Ben Urich confronts Daredevil with his secret identity, and you see Daredevil in a series of panels, sort of twisting and turning as he tries to avoid the truth before you know. Okay. So that one, Spiegelman. Um, I looked at. I opened my copy of Mouse to see if I yeah. could see. Uh, the influences and obviously it's the subject matter but it was actually because there's that bit in the middle of mouse prisoner on the hell planet um which i don't know if you remember it tony it's very german expressionistic sort of depiction yeah but the panels in those the sort of like the the sort of short well no what do we call them narrow stacked sort of uh, lengthy panels depicting time passing that I noticed seemed to be very okay, yeah. very much like Krigstein and then of course Dave Gibbons and Watchmen um, oh, I've written Dave even he's on my list yeah yeah, yeah. I, I know you're um, usually better at this I mean who else do you see him in there's a couple um and I sent you one of them was Klaus da- yes uh, Daniel, Daniel Klaus, Klaus. This, I think it's that Klaus captures that you never know exactly what time a Daniel Klaus story is written in, do you? Is sometimes there's a stuff that's sort of strangely fifties about it, but then again, someone will pull a mobile phone out, and um, I think there's a bit of that in there. Um, and another one I thought of um, was David Lloyd. Oh right, I that's think, a good shout. Yeah, because he does that time thing, doesn't he? He does that movement, time, repeated image, almost thing sometimes. Yes, and stuff like V for Vendetta. And letting the, um, letting the panels tell the story without words, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw it, but myself and Al talked about the um, uh, Johnny Cash biography by Kleist. Oh, yes, and, yep, yep. And I see a bit of that there as well. But that then again, he is German, and he is a fan of Expressionist, you know, sort of. So I imagine that's maybe where that comes from. Um, and the other one is Mazzuccelli. I thought was uh, there's a bit of that as well. And it goes back to several of the comics that you know you've talked about with your guests on this podcast, with me on this podcast, yeah. And and just you know that thing about people 
you know, writers and artists and colorists and everybody who are sort of like given the job of producing regular content but actually decide now i'm going to push this i'm going to yeah. you know i want to i want to experiment i want to play with the form and produce these great things and i think the thing is about bernie is you know let's not say that he was just this guy who was angry and argued about page lengths and you know decided he needed longer to do this comic but he was allowed to take longer to do this comic because he'd created so much regularly for them so I think he did 44 stories for EC. He did 55 stories for Atlas for a period there of only a short window, really. He was creating constantly. And I think because Gaines and Kurtzman and Feldstein were so um, uh, were so in awe of his work and knew that he was a workhorse as well, they gave him that chance. And Johnny Craig as well. Um, they gave him that chance to do it. And I, I really admire that. So it's not only is he someone who can hit the mark with deadlines, but he's someone who also pushed the pushed the medium more than most people. You know, I think there's there's a lesson to be learned for some of the creators these days about that. It's it's that that old aphorism that Neil Gaiman retells. You know, you could there's three things. You can be good, yeah. you can be fast, or you can be nice. Um, and you can get away with two out of three. Three out of three is probably, you know, genius. But yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah, and um, you know, the the people that we've talked about on this podcast, you know, like Matsu Kelly, uh, Alan Davis, Moore, um, yeah. Barry Windsor Smith, uh, Bill Waterston on Calvin and Hobbes. You know, they did. They yeah. paid their dues. They would produce the stuff. And then they would just sometimes they would just spread their wings and produce just you know glorious bits of art that have um, yeah burnt themselves it, on our memories. Oh, and that last page will do, man. And you know you will have seen it without realizing. I think a lot of people listening to this, yeah, um, you'll have yeah, seen Bernie that said, last page. You will have done definitely. Yeah. Bernie said EC provided an atmosphere of freedom and artistic encouragement. I think is ideal. I think that's brilliant. Um, um, and he also said, um, whatever happens should happen to the viewer. So he did, he was interested in the craft and interested in pushing the craft, but he was also interested in telling a story, which I think is also another important aspect of him. Yeah. Fantastic really. stuff. I mean, you know, track down your copy. And like I say, you can find the eight pages on the internet. You can go to the Heritage Auction site and see they've yeah. still got the original pages up on their site because then 2018 they sold all eight pages in one lot for six hundred thousand dollars and um neither of us had had our lump sum then it wasn't us was it (laughs) yeah 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 we could have clubbed together yeah we could have clubbed together and bought the uh the catalogue yes (laughs) (laughs) i love those catalogues by the way yeah 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 and um dan makes dan has made some of them and uh, he's, he, I've got a couple through from him. They're beautiful. Just amazing. Yeah, good shout. Right. Okay. Well, that was an experience. And that was a real occasionally, I, you know, a lot of the times on this this podcast, I read stuff and it it just absolutely engages me. It's all I've read for weeks is the, you know, the EC stuff. And we, we had weird breakfast. All we bloody talked about was EC comics. So, you know, we just kept showing each other stuff. But yeah, we had a weird breakfast <laughs> yeah. in Russell Square. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> we're, the next table to Sean Phillips so we just met yeah yeah it was quite a morning that wasn't it yeah, it was it was a good morning actually yeah we had a we had a good time and it was nice to be out in the world and uh yeah when it just yeah and I would say I would say that if you um 
if you think like I did um, wrongly that EC Comics is old fashioned, I think you could well discover something new by reading it. It's like having four episodes of the Twilight Zone um, in a in a comic. Yeah. They're they're cleverly told and they're they're beautifully drawn and they get lovely colours and yeah. I think just give it a go and you can pick some stuff up. I picked some of the Cochrane sort of bind ups for a fiver each. The uh, bought piracy and shock suspense stories and there's four issues in each of them and they were a fiver each, so it's not bad. And we mentioned them right at the start. Fantagraphics are doing reprint, black and white reprints of individual creators' work from this time period. Uh, and those are, you know, you know, judging on this one, because you not only get the black and white stories, you also get some back matter and some introductions and some, some articles. Some nice essays. Yeah, yeah. exactly, you know. Um, so that's well worth. And this one is Master Race and Other Stories. And the book you recommended is, what was it called? Oh, it's called um, B. Krigstein by Greg Sadowick. Sadowski. There we Greg go. Sadowski. And it's a it's sort of a coffee table book, but it's not expensive. I think like 20 quid, I think, when I bought it. Right. And that's by Fantagraphics as well, which is really lovely. And that's if if you just want to buy one book. It's got the whole of this story in it, by the way. And But you want to know everything. I could tell you everything that Bernie did every day of his life, I think, pretty <laughs> much. It's a quite, it's a right, really deal. But he uses a lot of quotes. They obviously did a very long interview with Natalie, his wife. And uh, I think the last line she says in there says that, Bernie painted every day for his whole life. And I think that's a beautiful, you know, we, he may have left comics, but he never left art, which is quite interesting. Fantastic. Um, yeah, good stuff. Okay, man. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about you. Um, you you're busy at the moment, aren't you? So um, the Mega City's on fire at the moment. You've had um, a couple of buddies of mine on actually recently, haven't you? Uh, so let's see. Who have I had on recently? I've with Barry Nugent from Geek Syndicate. Yeah. Uh, he was on... Um, coming up this weekend, I've got an uh, an ish an episode about Fink Angel. Oh, okay. Uh, Colin McNeil, great two thousand AD artist, is coming up on the podcast in a couple of weeks' time. Um, who was your other buddy who's been on recently? Uh, it was Tom Tom Stewart. Oh, of course, yeah, Tom Stewart from that comic Smell did Batman and Dread crossover, the Ultimate Riddle. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, still getting the episodes out every two weeks. Um, got an episode coming so up on Born the- Again. Oh, you said that. That's interesting. Yeah, we're yeah. doing another go at Born Again, which I started on your podcast with. <laughs> yeah, it's good though. Yeah, it's good. Be interesting to get someone else's. Who can you say who's doing that one or? Uh, that's a chap called Comic Book Sam is his YouTube ch- channel. Um, he's coming on to do that one. Uh, interesting choice. And we've got a few more coming up. And if you know the format of my podcast and the Grail Page game, it's worth listening to the Colin McNeil yeah. interview for the Grail Page from 2080's History He Chooses and the great, oh. you know, lovely story that goes with it. So uh, little teaser for that one that's out in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, good stuff, man. Yeah, so... It's a, it's as you hear this, it's a week Sunday, isn't it? I think if you if you listen to this on the day of release, it's you haven't got one this weekend. It's the following weekend. No, it's right? this uh, this weekend is Fink of Angel, is. and then two weeks after yeah, that will be Conor McNeil. We had, um, we had your other podcast, didn't we, last weekend? British Invaders um, came out last weekend. Yeah, while we were in London. Yeah, <laughs> you're a busy man. Yeah, well. It's sort of, yeah, retired. Yeah. <laughs> and, what, and what else are you buying at the moment? You're enjoying reading, etc. Uh, I've got. Is he? Is he James Tinian the fourth? Fourth. Yeah. Uh, I'm sort of really tiny getting Tinian. Yeah. Yeah, tiny. Sure. He's going to be at Thought Bubble, I think. Uh, well, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I know they're sort yeah. of, they're dropping like flies, aren't they? Um, yeah. 
Um, so I, I've Department of Truth. Uh, oh, something is so killing good. the children. Yeah. Um, I've been reading that. What else have I been reading recently? Obviously, a lot of homework for the podcast and for this podcast. Um, oh, I've also I picked up Douglas Douglas Walk's Age of Marvels. No, is it called Age of Marvels? No, it's called All of the Marvels. Yes, you uh, recommended this to me. I've just downloaded the audio book. Right. So his um, attempt so go. to read the entire canon of Marvel comic books since nineteen sixty. What were we going to say? 61? 61? 61, yeah. yeah. yeah 61. Um, so 60 years of Marvel comic books. He's tried to read them all and then talk about them and pick out themes and particular stories. And I'm enjoying that. That seems great. I just picked oh, that up this that's week. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I feel sorry for him when he meet, you know, he gets to the 90s. There's some crap. I mean, there's some crap in the 2000s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, everybody um, knows it's... when comics got to the 90s, it went through a difficult patch and... Uh, um, yeah. It was it was difficult for us all to keep our enthusiasm at times, but you know, yeah, it was strange. Yeah. Good, nice one, man. So, where can we um, find you online, and where can we follow the podcast? So, go to megacitybookclub.com. You'll find all the links and all the episodes. You'll also find a link to the British Invaders podcast, which is a podcast I do with a chap called Brian from Canada about the genre of television on British TV. And you've just done the Philip K. Dick series on that, is that right? Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. We've got some more John Steed Avengers coming up, which we'll be recording this weekend. They're doing the Emma Peel years. Um, Great. We're going to do a Christmas Carol. We're going to do um, the actual, you know, Dickens, an adaptation of Dickens, a Christmas Carol for Christmas. Um, okay. So we'll be talking about that. And also, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, MCBC Podcast, and you'll find all the links, megacitybookclub.com. You'll find me there. And just while I'm at it, um, yeah, Drawn Under the Influence, the anthology edited by Sarah Harris, how many copies are left? Yeah handful oh there's about i think there's about 13 left now um yeah so thanks to you guys for buying one thanks mate um yeah i bought uh, yeah i bought a couple of couple of issues and gave one to conrad and uh get in (laughs) touch with sarah and get those last copies because at least i think two pounds from every purchase goes to refuge which is a great worthy cause you know it, it is a great anthology and talking about something that looks well produced and slick like square tront did in the 70s that's a really lovely um professional job um that anthology isn't it she's done really well there isn't she she really has yeah so if you find implausible 17 on twitter or if you go to buy small press you can find it there there's uh, there's various versions of it you can buy a digital or a physical um and you can download a playlist from spotify that she's prepared and there's also uh just a tab you can donate money at least two quid from each purchase goes to refuge um the domestic violence charity finding people places for people to stay after they've been victims of violence so if there is ever a charity you should be donating to that's the one at the moment um yeah, she's done really well there. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of proud to be a friend of Sarah's. Um, a possible future guest of yours as well, mate. Yeah, I'm hoping she's going to come on to talk about a new collection of Misty comics that's coming out from Rebellion. She um, loves Misty. Yeah, she does. She and, absolutely you know, loves it. Yeah. yeah. And I love talking yeah, about yeah. Misty as well, that great comic that I feel that I missed out on at the time because, you know, yeah. we had that prejudice that we shouldn't read girls' comics. I mean, we should have been reading girls' comics. Yeah, we're geezers, weren't we? So, yeah. yeah, we left it alone, but we shouldn't have done. Yeah, definitely. Good. Thanks, man. And we'll chat about the next one after this, if that's all right. Um, you can find me at uh, neverindanything.com or you can go to tribute, uh, 
patreon.com forward slash tribute press we're putting a page out of the comic a day at the moment flesh and ink and the next project um we're about 10 pages into so i'll be able to talk about that soon as well thanks dude cheers tony thanks for that